I ask you to please turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Exodus and chapter 19. Exodus chapter 19. I must confess that sometimes it puzzles me why people teach certain things in churches today. I don't quite understand why people don't dig to understand what the Bible teaches that people ignore certain passages of what the Bible has to offer and just focus their minds on things that are not true. We talked about this in the previous hour. Why on earth do people believe some of this strange teaching in our day? And yet they do. I'm going to talk a little bit about this morning about regarding the fact that so many today are willing to throw out or cast aside the law of God. And particularly, I'm talking about the moral law of God. They pick and they choose what commandments of God they might wish to follow and those that they think are not for us today. They disregard some of it or all of it, or at least in certain circles, downplay the law of God. They say such things as, well, the law was for the Old Testament and we live in the New Testament, so it doesn't have anything to do with us. I wonder if you would stop to think about that statement, if you would see what they're saying. I'm going to point it out in a few minutes. Oh, we live in the New Testament era. So the law doesn't have anything to do with us. We don't need it now. Or the classic saying, we live by grace, not by the law. People, I am absolutely not denying that we live under the grace of God. We do. But that does not negate or abrogate the law of God. Yes, We live by grace, but we still have the moral law of God. I have to believe that the reason that so many so-called Christians deny the law of God or cast aside the law of God or downplay the law of God is because they simply do not understand the law of God or why the law of God was given and why it still exists to our day. They just don't understand the purpose of the law. So here, in Exodus chapter 19, just prior to God giving the law to Moses, which He gave to Israel, which we have today... God tells us why. He tells us why He gives the law and what it is to do. So look with me, please, to chapter 19 and verse 5. Now then, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession among all the peoples. For all the earth is mine, 
and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to Israel. You hear what he's saying? There's all kinds of people all over the world. It's all my world, but you are going to be my people. You are going to be unique in all of the world. And how is it that you are going to be unique? You are going to be unique because you are going to be given my law. And as you live by my law, you will show the world the difference between you and everyone else in the world. You will be holy. You will be holy unto me as I give you this law and you keep this law you will be a holy nation and your holiness will glorify God. Will point men to God as they see the difference in you and in your life and in the way that you live. For me, you will glorify God. And so the law was given that we would honor and glorify God as we are a holy people to Him. Now keep that in mind, if you would, please, as you turn once again, as we turn once again, to consider further the essence of forgiveness under the whole series that we're looking at, the fundamentals of of forgiveness. So turn again in your Bibles now to 1 John chapter 3 and verse 4. I want you please to keep in mind that the law was not bad when it was given and it is not bad now. We have been looking at the source of our need for forgiveness which indeed as we detail from the scripture and even from our Lord's own teaching, is our sin. Our sin needs to be forgiven. And we've seen that all men are sinners. None of us escapes. None of you escapes. The sin of Adam has been imputed to every man. We are all sinners. That is the source of our need for forgiveness. And now we're looking at a definition of the sin which needs to be forgiven. And we find that definition in a very brief statement right here in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 4. As John says, sin is lawlessness. And we've seen that lawlessness is a breaking of the law of God. And in our study in recent weeks, we have seen that that is not the civil law, which has indeed changed in the centuries since the law was given to Moses. Even Jesus himself changed it in what you can and cannot eat. And we've seen that it is not the ceremonial law. 
That is the sacrificial system that was given through Moses to the nation of Israel where they saw the sacrifice of the bulls and the goats. That was a picture of the final sacrifice to come of the Messiah, which we have seen was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. He completely, once for all, fulfilled the ceremonial law and the need for any kind of sacrifice in Himself. So here, 1 John 3, 4 is not referring to the ceremonial law. It is referring to, as we said last Lord's Day, the moral law. That which we read just a few moments ago from Exodus chapter 20, the Ten Commandments. Commonly called the Ten Commandments. It is the law that teaches us that we are to love God above anything or anyone else. We are to have no other gods. Did you notice in that reading? It was God's small g. No other gods before him. There is no other God. But we are to believe only in the God of the Bible. To revere his name and to keep his day holy. It is that law that tells us that we are not to make any idols or have any images of God or gods. It is that law that tells us that we are, yes, to honor our fathers and our mothers coming up on Mother's Day. Don't want to forget, that's a command. Honor your mother. It is the law that teaches us that we are not to kill, that we are not to commit adultery, That we are not to lie or steal or covet. It is the law of God that teaches us all of these things. When we think of sin, it is a breaking of the moral law of God. Remember we looked at Exodus 19 and, and, and Moses, God said to Moses, you're to tell them, you keep this law and you are a holy people and that honors me. Breaking the law is the opposite. That is sin. So when we think of breaking the law of God, that is sin. Now despite this fact that the moral law was given for our good and to honor God, some still suggest that the moral law has been done away with. That we do not live under law, but we live under grace. I want to ask you at this time to turn with me to Matthew's Gospel in chapter 5. And I want to seek to understand, and I'm not sure I can explain to you why, they don't see what Jesus says in this passage. Matthew chapter 5 in your Bibles. Look down, if you would, please, to verse 17 and hear what Jesus says. Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. So they would say that the law that was given to Moses 
has been done away with. They would say that we don't live by law, we live by grace. But Jesus says, I have not come to abolish the law. Why can they teach that the law has been abolished? Do you understand what they are doing? What they are doing is setting up a demarcation or a contrast between the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament. The God of the Old Testament says, these things will honor me. These things will bring glory to me. These things will teach you to be holy. But the God of the New Testament says, oh, don't worry about that. Now you live under grace. No sense in striving to be holy or godly by keeping the law. Now you've got grace. That is heresy. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. There is one God. The God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament. He does not love something and think that it is important and give it to his people in one time and then deny it and disregard it in another time. That is what we're seeing in our study of dispensationalism, which we reject. What God gave to Israel was not simply something that he thought, well, this would be good for them. This will be good for this time period. This will be good for a little while. But later on, we'll change it to something different. The law was given because it was to make his people holy. And his people were to be holy that they would honor and glorify him and show the world that he is God, the true God. That there is one God, not all of these pagan gods that so many others in the world worship, but one God. And we are his people. The law was not given just to them. And for that time, the law is timeless. It will always honor God. And I couldn't help but think, well, some would say, well, not in heaven. No, there won't be any sin in heaven. And that means we will be living perfectly by the law. Because we will be there with no other gods before him. Honoring him as he demands. And then we will not be killing or stealing or lying or committing adultery. It will all be right before God. So the law is timeless. It was not just given for one period of time. And here Jesus says clearly that he has not done away with the law. He has not abolished the law. Yes, he came to properly explain it to the Pharisees who had twisted it to their own desired end. But he didn't abolish it. He came and he explained it. He came and he taught. And yes, even as we saw last week, he fulfilled the ceremonial law. Completely fulfilled it. That's what he says, is it not? I came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill. Now look what he says. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke. I still like 
jot or tittle, shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. All has not been accomplished, people. Jesus has not returned yet. So the law has not been abolished. The law stands. Jesus himself says, I will not, I have not come to abolish the law. The ceremonial law, as we saw last week, was fulfilled in Christ. The civil law, as we saw the week before, was changed even by our Lord's own teaching. But the moral law has not passed away. In fact, we just looked at Exodus 19, and we saw that the law was given to glorify God, that as His people kept the law, they would glorify Him. As the rest of the world would see them, they would see their holiness, and that would point to their God and bring glory to Him. Now let me ask you this, what do you suppose happens today? I read to you from verse 17, if you would please look at your Bibles, at verse 16. Matthew chapter 5, we'll actually pick up in verse 14. What is Jesus saying? For you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Now, do you think that Jesus is here establishing some kind of new rule for how to light your house? Here's what you're supposed to do with your lamps, and here's what you're not supposed to do with your lamps. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about you. You are to be a light unto the world. As you follow Christ, Look what he says in verse 16. Let your light shine before men. How? In such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. This is almost just what God said to Moses in chapter 19 of Exodus. I'm going to give you the law. You keep the law. People see your holiness and God is glorified. It's what we are to do. We follow Jesus. We follow God. We follow His Word. We follow the law, even as Christians. We strive to live holy lives and men see that and God is glorified. And I would say so much as even this, that we live in a day when even many, many evangelical Christians who would suggest certainly we're not to forget much of the law. We don't want to forget thou shalt not kill. We don't want to forget that you should not uh, steal or commit adultery. Well, some of them. But what about those who suggest that the fourth commandment has been done away with. No longer do you need to keep holy the Lord's day. That was for the Old Testament, not for the New Testament. I mean, after all, it did change from the seventh day to the first. 
That does not mean that the law was done away. That does not mean that Christ abolished keeping the Lord's day holy. We as Christians today are still to keep the Lord's day holy. And what I'm trying to say to you is this. You will meet many people who claim to be evangelical Christians who do not agree with that. But you, by your actions and what you do on Sunday, the Lord's day, will be light and salt, will honor God if you keep His Word. This is why we will never have a seeker-friendly service on a Thursday night or even a Saturday night. Sunday is the Lord's Day. Some talked about this a few weeks ago when it was Easter, and there were some churches that were advertising our Easter services on Saturday. What? What day did Jesus rise? The first day of the week. Which is why we celebrate His resurrection on Sunday. That's just one point of application. Keep His Word and others will see and God will be glorified. Now, what I also want you to see is how the moral law is used by God, or at least one way in which the moral law is used by God today in every one of our lives. And then again, I ask the question, how could it be done away with if this is what it does? Look at Romans chapter 7. The epistle to the Romans chapter 7. We have the testimony of the Apostle Paul. And he tells us what I was saying a few moments ago, that the law is our teacher. Look at what he says. If you look down here in Romans chapter 7 to verse 7, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? That's sort of like what I'm asking. Why do these people say the law is bad? Why do these people say the law needs to be done away with? Or is done away with? We live under grace, not under law. How did you come to live under grace? How did you come to know Jesus and your need for Christ? What shall we say then? Is the law sin? May it never be. On the contrary, I would not have come to know sin except through the law. I would not know that I was a sinner if there was no law to tell me I was a sinner. And what is the first thing that God does in any man, woman, boy, or girl as He gently and graciously begins to draw them to Himself and save them by His mercy and grace? He shows them that they are sinners. That is what needs to be forgiven. Your sin. And God then opens your eyes to show you that you are a sinner. A sinner. 
before a holy God. And what does He use to show you that you're a sinner? The law. Because the breaking of the law is sin. And Paul says here in this text, I would not have come to know sin except through the law. And how do we know he's talking about the moral law? For I would not have known about coveting if the law had said, you shall not covet. He quotes the Tenth Commandment. This is how God uses the law in the lives of men and women and even boys and girls in our day. The law shows that you are a sinner. The moral law teaches each of us that we are lawbreakers, sinners before God. Teaches you. Teaches you. Teaches each one of you that you are a sinner before God. You remember Hebrews chapter 10, and I can't take the time to turn there right now, but it says that the law will be written on the hearts of men. You know the law. You know when you sin. You know that you are a sinner in need of forgiveness because you know that you have broken the law of God. What is it that has made men all along for centuries know that it is wrong to kill somebody? The law What is it all along for centuries that has made men know that it's wrong to lie, to steal, to take another man's wife? The law. And what shows you every day, day in and day out, that you are a sinner? The law. In your heart you know that you are a sinner. And it is because of the moral law. You kids! You kids, listen to me. Honor your father and mother. And to not do so is a sin against God. Keeping the law Is what we are to do. Not keeping the law is a sin. And we all know it. We all know it. But what do people do? Turn back a few pages to chapter 1 of Romans. Romans chapter 1. I wasn't going to turn to this passage because I turn to it so often. But yet I believe that you need to see this with your own eyeballs. It is important. Because he says in verse 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. What is that? Ungodliness and unrighteousness 
is breaking of the law. And what is that? Sin. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. Sin! This is how Paul begins an entire section of several chapters, almost three chapters, of dealing with sin. The first thing he says is that the wrath of God is revealed against sin. But what do men do? Wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. They deny it. They suppress it. They do everything they can in their lives to ignore the law of God. It's not adultery if I look. It's not stealing if I just take a little time or a little money from the cash register. My boss makes plenty of money anyway. It's not killing if I hate my brother. It's certainly not sin if I don't go to church on Sunday and worship God. It's not sin if I have an idol or something else that is more important to me than God. They suppress in every way they can to suppress the truth of the Word of God that is on your heart. Look, because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. You know there is a God, and you know there is a law. And you know that when you break that law, you are sinning. You know it. We all know it. It's the Word of God that tells us that. And so men strive to deny that the law of God exists. Strive to deny that they are ungodly, unrighteous sinners. Strive to suppress the truth. And they work at it and work at it and work at it until we have a government that's teaching and promoting sin and a people that are willingly going along with it. And they get to the place where we read right here in this text. They get to the place where you read in verse 21, For even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks but they became futile in their speculations. And their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they have become fools. We know so much better than the Bible. We know that there is this evolution thing. That there is no creator God. That man just evolved, crawled up out of a slimy pool billions of years ago. We know. They're so smart. And yet when you look at the facts, they are fools following a lie. 
Oh, we know that sodomy is just an alternate lifestyle. We know it's okay. It's the way you were born. They lie. They cover and they suppress their sin. He goes on in this very text to talk about that. We know that being drunk is just a uh, harmless crime. It, it doesn't hurt anybody. It helps me to forget. It helps me to feel better. Whatever it takes, they will do it to suppress the truth of God until they wind up believing lies and living a lie in their own life. Many people that I have had in churches over the years would come to church faithfully, but were living a lie. Professing to be, oh, wonderful Christians. But in the privacy of their own homes, their own work environment, they were sinful, wicked people. I had a deacon in a church. The chairman of the deacons. 32nd degree Mason. Who had a big job with Publix. Pats the secretary on the bottom. I witnessed it. He took me to his job. Calls her sweetie or whatever. What do they do in their own lives? When they don't think anyone is looking. That's not the, that's the tip of the iceberg with that guy. But God sees it all. And you know it's sin. Because the law is on your heart and the law teaches you. God made it evident within you. And you try to suppress it. You try to deny it. But in your heart of hearts, you know that you are a sinner. Now, what does that mean? Sinner? Sin against who? This is a key issue. Turn in your Bibles to Psalm 51. Psalm 51. In Romans 1, the text said that the wrath of God is revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. All sinners! The wrath of God stands ready against you. Why? Because all sin is sin against God. It doesn't matter what you do to me. It doesn't really matter what you do to one another. But it does matter what you do before God. Even what you do to me or one another. Because all sin is sin against God. Now here we have the occasion when God shows David his sin as Nathan the prophet has come to him 
and shown him his sin with Bathsheba. And God has shown David his wickedness and his sin. And David being a a godly man most of the time, we're all sinners, says, Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the greatness of your compassion. Brought out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Do you see what he says? It's my iniquity. It's my sin. I've done it. For I know my transgression. And my sin is ever before me. But my sin is against you. Against you. You only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. God is blameless when he judges. Because we are all sinners and deserve judgment. Because all sin is sin against God. He is the judge you will answer to because it is His law you are breaking when you sin. It is His law that was given to honor Him, that when you break, you dishonor Him. Because God is a God of justice, He can therefore not allow your sin to be unpunished. And those who break His law must be held accountable to Him. So I ask you, I want you to think with me, please. One day, you will stand before Him. All of you will stand before Him one day, even you. Even you kids. You will stand before God one day. What will you say? What will you say to him when he asks you about your sin? When he has the charges of all of your sins and and he asks you, what about all these sins? What will you say? I know that there are many people who will likely say, well, you know, uh, uh, I'm not so bad. I'm not... I'm not that bad. I'm a, I'm a good person. I'm not nearly as bad as, well, well, like my neighbor. They don't even go to church, God. I go to church. I'm not nearly as bad as them. I'm certainly not as bad as these Muslims who go around and behead people. I'm not, I'm not nearly that bad. I'm a pretty good person. So God, please, you know uh, I'm, I'm a pretty good person. Is that what you'll say? I ask you to turn with me back to 1 John chapter 3 and verse 4. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 4 again. 
And this time I want you to notice what is said. Verse 4, everyone who practices sin, practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. We all do it. All the time! We're in the practice of sin. It is part of our way of life. Now, I do believe and hope that in the lives of many of you, you strive to be holy. And you strive to live a godly life. But suppose, suppose you commit one sin a day. Just one. Too few? I would imagine so. Because remember, not loving the Lord your God with all of your heart is a sin. And how many times a day does that happen in your life? So let's say three a day. Just three little sins a day. Lord, that's not so bad. I'm a good girl. I'm a good boy. I only commit maybe three sins a day, God. Three sins a day is over a thousand a year. And how old are some of you? Let's say 10 years, 10,000 sins. And some of us are a lot older than that, but let's stop at 10,000 sins. How many of us have heard on the news, even recently in our own community, of people who have committed all kinds of crimes, violent crimes, serious crimes, And then all of a sudden they kill someone or they kill a cop. And everyone is then told, well, he has committed 30 crimes and has been arrested over 30 times. And we all go, what on earth is wrong with our judicial system that that guy was even out on the street? He should have been in jail, rotting away, and yet they let him loose to commit this heinous crime and kill this police officer. That guy... That criminal didn't commit 10,000 crimes. But you have. You have 10,000 sins before God. And you think God's just going to let you go? That's just three sins a day for 10 years. And you think God's just going to, wow, he's only committed 10,000 violations in 10 years. Some of us who are a little older, it'd be a lot more. You think God is just going to let you go? What will you say? If you stand before him and say, I'm not so bad, God. You're a liar. And you're denying exactly what Paul said in 
Romans chapter 1. Denying it, suppressing it. And you are, even as John says right here in 1 John chapter 1, as he says in verse 8, if you say that you have no sins, you are deceiving yourselves. And the truth is not in you. I'm not so bad, God. You're a liar. You're suppressing the truth. So, oh, my dear friend, my dear people, my dear kids, don't stand before God and say you're not so bad. Come clean today and tell Him that you are a sinner. I have sinned, God, against you. Against you only I have sinned and I am unworthy of your mercy. I am unworthy of heaven. I am unworthy, God. Have mercy on me. And I tell you that Christ, when He went to the cross, paid for the forgiveness of the sins of those who will come to Him in that way. I am unworthy, O God. Save me by Your grace. Let Jesus be my Savior. I want the forgiveness of sins that Jesus did on the cross to be real for me. Don't think you can do it on your own. Or don't lie to yourself and think that you're not so bad. Because you are bad. We are all sinners. But oh, come to Jesus. Believe in Him and cry out to God for His forgiveness of your sins. Accomplished by Christ on the cross. And then, when you stand before Him on that day, you say to Him, Oh God, I am unworthy! But Christ, Your Son, has paid for my pardon, and my sins are forgiven. And then and only then does God say, Come, enter in, to the rest that has been prepared for you. For Christ has died for your sins. For your sins. For the forgiveness of your sins. Sin is a violation of the moral law. The moral law shows us that we are sinners. And it shows us that we are in need of forgiveness from the great God who gave the law. And then, as we will go on to see, He shows us how it's fulfilled in Christ. Paid for in full by Christ. But please take to heart these things today. The law is good. Don't run from it. Don't deny it. 
Let it show you your need of Christ who paid for your forgiveness. Let's pray.